Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Buccaneers and Cowboys tonight, the final game of Wild Card Weekend. Now kick 360. Glad you're with us. Jason McCourty will be with us from Good Morning Football on NFL Network. He joins us in 20 minutes. Uh, quickly, the headlines. Tua Tagovailoa is back as the starting quarterback next, next season, according to Chris Greer, general manager for the Dolphins. We'll dive into that. Um, we'll tell you about the injury report for tonight's matchup and a crazy stat involving wins for the Cowboys and wins for Tom Brady over the span of Brady's career. Chad, we're not discussing a Ravens win, and we're not discussing Lamar Jackson proving everyone that he's worth the fully guaranteed money that he sought this past offseason, and he goes into another year where he could potentially be franchised, he could be released, he could be traded. All different things are on the table for the Ravens as they try to to figure out where they're going to go to next. Yeah, we just played some footage from Fox where Sean Payton is saying he's not going to be a part of the Ravens next year. He doesn't believe in talking to people around that team. And then you got Mike Vick saying, put a brace on it and go play. Um, this all comes after, too. Sammy Watkins had a very long answer uh, to a reporter this weekend about Lamar Jackson, where he's basically almost begging him to come play. You know, saying, hey, we're all out here. There's guys banged up. We'd love for our leader to be here. I think we win this game if you give it a go. But also kind of hedging by saying, I don't know how hurt he is, so if he's not going to play, I guess he's hurt. Um, this sort of weird dance around it with could he have given it a go if he really wanted to? Is this just a business move from Lamar Jackson? I started by saying I think it's refreshing that these guys on Fox said it, what a lot of people won't. It is difficult to speculate on injury, but you do have Mike Vick saying I played an entire season with a sprained MCL. Now, I don't know – what is it, PCL injury with Lamar Jackson versus MCL says, yeah. injury. Everybody's pain threshold is different, this and that. I understand it. Um, I kind of lean into the, I think he's making a business decision. Well, I think he could have rushed back. It's both. But and no tried one's, to play. No one's jumping to bash him on Friday or on Thursday when he sent out the tweet it's that he didn't go to the game. That's what, uh, that's what brought on this attention. Yeah, that- now the tweet thing, I think Sean Payton's being very, very old school when he says that. I, I'm, I'm with you on that. If, if I'm in a situation where if I feel like I'm legitimately hurt and I feel like my organization isn't protecting me by releasing information and allowing a lot of speculation to go on about me dogging it in some which, way. Which was that he could be back within three weeks. Yeah, then I, I don't blame him for wanting to come out and say, no, this is what's going on. Here's what the rehab's been. You know, if you want to lay all that out there, I can't fault a guy for wanting to set the record straight and to put information out there when everyone else refuses to do it. I also think, sort of like the Kyler Murray situation, there's enough, there's enough I've heard from people around the Ravens, Sammy Watkins being one of them, that leads me to believe that if Lamar Jackson really wanted to play in this game, he could have played. Now, we can get into the nuance of, well, what's going on in the negotiation before the season? What's he being told by his agent? What's really best for Lamar Jackson long-term? All of those things. 
I have a tendency to default to you're in the playoffs. Right. It's a team sport still. If you got a chance to win a playoff game and make a run in the playoffs, you do everything you possibly can to play. I don't know if he's done that or not. But if there's any doubt that he could have played and he didn't, that's a bad look for Lamar Jackson. And I don't like it. And if I'm the Ravens and they feel that way, I don't like it if I'm the Ravens. I mean, he's ultimately clearly going to do what's best for him long-term, and he wants to get that big contract, and he's going to get it from someone. Yes. But I would understand his teammates having a hard time with that. Well, I can do, understand what Mike Vick is saying with it also. Some do, some don't. Is Dobbins and, and you've got uh, Marcus Peters who say, number one, if he plays, we're winning the game. I mean, that's after Huntley did everything possible to keep them in the, the playoff hunt and played with a shoulder issue and a wrist issue last night. Their, court, their starting quarterback last night, Tyler Huntley, was thrown under the bus by the starting running back who said, yeah, if Lamar plays, we win. And he's, he's right. He's, he's not right. wrong. But, I mean, he's being just as vocal on that end. There, there is and, – and by the way, he traveled all season. He was in Cincinnati last week. So something went down to where, you know, he felt like he was going to be the scapegoat if they fell again in the postseason. They haven't won a postseason game since 2015. They've outgained their last four playoff opponents by 120 yards, including last night. And they're one in three in their last four postseason games. That win was here in Nashville against the Tennessee Titans by starting quarterback Lamar Jackson. I, I, I think he views it as, a, of course, a, a negotiation slash money issue. But also, I mean, the guy's got to be healthy in order to do that. And if he feels like he's being told he's got to play and he's healthier than what he's being told based on second opinion, and oh, by the way, he represents himself, he cut off the negotiations on his own prior to the start of the season. Uh, what he wants is to get a franchise tag at worst. And at best, he gets a contract either in Baltimore or somewhere else this offseason. So he's getting upwards of 45 to $50 million next year, regardless of where he plays, as long as he's healthy. So, yeah, it's a business move, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he's lying about it when he was very detailed in what he put out on Twitter. Yeah, And, and guess, guess who's not answering questions? The Baltimore Ravens. John Harbaugh's not answering anything in regards to the injury. So speak up if he's lying. Well, here's what's going to happen now, and it's going to piss a lot of people off, and I get it. There's going to be a lot of anonymous reporting about it. There's going to be Ravens sure. coaches, general manager, uh, players that are going to speak off the, on the record but anonymously, and they're going to question Lamar Jackson's heart. They're going to question Lamar Jackson's pain threshold. They're going to poke a lot of holes in him late in the season. Uh, and that's what's going to go on now. And Lamar can continue to tweet out his side of whatever's going on. I'll say this, too. He didn't do a lot of goodwill for himself by not traveling with the team and being there on the sideline to support them in this game. Perception is going to be, quite frankly, and maybe rightfully so, that he did a very selfish thing in, in doing what he did. And not going all of a sudden, I don't care if you're at a riff with, the, or with management or whoever, it's a bad look. He should have been there. On the side, I'm not saying that he had to play. If he's physically not able to play or he feels that way, don't play. But it's weird that he wasn't there. And maybe something awful happened from the organization towards him that led to this, and maybe that all comes out in the wash one day. But I do think it was bad that he wasn't there for his teammates. Yeah, and all the detail that Harbaugh has given was whenever they asked you know, when he would be back. And originally, he said days to weeks. 
was uh, the detail of that. And then that's kind of the, the barometer of the, okay, he's going to be back at practice. Is he going to be back on the game? Well, you start judging that based on what the Ravens were putting out. And for the first time, we heard from Lamar Jackson on what he felt he was dealing with. We still don't know why he didn't go. Uh, when he was traveling last week, everyone's pointing to a contract dispute. But, I mean, it's not like he was playing either way. So, if he goes, he still sits out. And really, no one's talking about it because he just chose to travel. Not that he sat out and said he had a, 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 a further issue with the same need that the Ravens were apparently saying was not as big of an issue as he was making it out to be. Yeah, and in the end... And here we go. Here we go again with this. The, in the end, the, the one thing that cost the Ravens the game is the one play that Lamar Jackson probably doesn't make. <laughs> right? I mean, I'm saying, and I, I've given Huntley yeah. credit here. He had them in position to pull off a win over the defending AFC champs on the road, and they're about to punch it in from a yard out, and yeah. he does something stupid... And it's a play that Lamar Jackson probably doesn't have happen to him. And the Ravens go in there and win the game. Chris Greer says Tua is their quarterback. I, I found it really interesting uh, with all of the news and notes, and you mentioned anonymous sourcing, uh, immediately in what could be Brady's final game in Tampa tonight, um, the, the next teams that are on a list, a very short list of teams that are, would be interested in pursuing him. And the Dolphins were not listed. After last season, with all the speed we just heard from Sean Payton, all of the speculation that they were going to team up and go to Miami, today, Chris Greer comes out and says, Tua's the, our quarterback. They're going to keep the options open about the fifth-year option, which is a possibility, about a contract extension, uh, tag, all of it. And he's coming off of two confirmed NFL concussions. But, I mean, we saw him have three. And... They shut him down for the end of the season, didn't travel to Buffalo because you've got to be cleared through concussion protocol to do it. And speaking with doctors, Greer says, oh, wait, we're moving forward with Tua. They say he's going to be 100% next season. I wonder if they're at all worried about, um, with all the talk about concussions and the NFL and protecting quarterbacks and everything, and the fact that they're involved in this other lawsuit that's separate of that, I wonder if there's any thinking about well, we're just going to look terrible if we just get rid of this guy and move forward because he's had these terrible concussions. Well, I mean, and we can't trust his injury history well, now. Or just because it's, uh, it's, I mean, teams will cut a player as soon as he's, you know, physically able to pass a physical, even coming All off a the concussion. Time. So yeah. I don't know if that's, I, I wouldn't perceive it that way. No, but I'm saying that you know there's going to be people that perceive it as, boy, they threw this guy out to the wolves. And they didn't do what's right by him. The league didn't when I he mean, had the one concussion that wasn't called. And the moment he passed a physical, they cut him. I mean, someone's gonna gonna argue that you got to do what's best for your organization within the rules. I mean, I'm, I'm not arguing for them to do that right. because of optics. But I, I, Hutton, it's such a weird decision to me well, it's just to unknown. just blanket say, well, he's the guy when you have this history that I don't know why they would do it. Well, they they don't they have a great secondary option right now. Unless it's go big for someone that's out there and, and possibly available. Well, they know how good they were when he was healthy and what he did within that passing game. So, I mean, it's just so it, – it, I'm assuming they're going to bring uh, Bridgewater. You know, Thompson, what, started, what, four games this year total, counting yesterday in Buffalo? It is a – it's tricky because they're close. They're really close. But you can't count on Tua now because of every – they, they say that, you know, one concussion leads to your next one. And with the 
track record now and the protocols that are in place, I mean, there's no way you can go in with just him believing, Chris Greer, I'm saying, believing that two is the guy and he's your, your 18-week starter. You have to prepare better than what they did this year, and they tried to with Bridgewater, but they did that because they weren't sold on Tua, not because of an injury history. So many drops yesterday. Talking about Skylar yeah. Thompson, did not do him any favors. That receiving core that's been really good this year with some key drops, starting with the first drive of the game on a deep ball. Uh, they, they needed those receivers to be great, and they were not. Giants came up with the big plays late to beat Minnesota. I don't think anyone's shocked by this, but there are the, that people are pointing to this as the biggest upset of the weekend. And, you know, the Giants going on the road and winning against a 13-win team. Okay. And doing it with Daniel Jones, the forgotten prove-it quarterback of 2022-23. And doing it with Saquon Barkley, who's out to prove a point, too, to get the money and prove that he's worth it. I, it Brian Dayball has done an incredible job. Because I think the common, average football fan, can they name six players on the Giants roster today? Probably not. That's crazy, considering they're one of the eight teams remaining in the league. So, by seeding, it was the biggest upset right. of the week. Uh, the biggest upset of the week is the Jags falling behind 27 nothing and coming back. Even as an under, they were a home underdog in the game uh, on Saturday night. That That's the biggest upset. He's the he's the coach of the year. I mean, when, when you look at him. Now, here's what I want to talk about. What the hell is Kirk Cousins doing on fourth and eighth? I mean, that was not even a let's and throw a screen and have guys set up where you can run and get it. How are they not trying to get that to Jefferson, too? I have no idea what the thought – did he think it was third down? He said he didn't like the look he had for Jefferson, so he checked it. I, I, it, I, it was Kirk Cousins being Kirk Cousins. One and four in the postseason. Whew. That was bad. All, all year – the Vikings, even 33 to nothing, all the talk against the Colts. Here's the Vikings. Yeah. Here's Kirk Cousins. Not that good. They're going to disappoint. And every time they answered the bell, they had big win after big win. Kirk Cousins put up huge numbers. Justin Jefferson is the best receiver in football. Here they come again with another comeback. And then to get to this point and have the ball with a chance to go down and do something with it late. On fourth and eight, you throw two, three yards with a guy clearly there to tackle him? Nowhere to go. I mean, it's if, if you see a guy wide open with room to run in front of him is one thing. Just an odd decision by a veteran guy that I, I – the only thing I could think is, did he in the moment just black out mentally and think it's third down and not fourth down? Did he forget the down and distance situation? That's even worse, though. On that play. And he's not going to admit it now. But in the moment, he just saw a guy open and, and threw it. And wasn't thinking about what the down was. It, it's bad either way. Bengals win the rematch. Giants upset the Vikings. Bills hold on after the Dolphins rally. And the 49ers beat the Seahawks. Uh, Seattle's up 17-16 at halftime. And then Brock Purdy and the offense. with So many different weapons and how we go about beating a team. On top of that defense. Chad, I think they're going to... Or we're going to see them in Glendale. San Fran. I think Purdy's about to take over the entire topic line of Sports Talk Radio. Preseason, I had Bills versus Packers in the Super Bowl. Right before the playoffs started, I changed that to Bills versus 49ers. After this weekend's game, I'm feeling even better mm. about that with the 49ers because this is not – Brock Pur Purdy is still going to go on more of a run. This run has been 
taking place, though. This is not the start. He's in, he's mid-run this season, and it's the start of something even bigger, I think, with him and the 49ers. This is no fluke anymore He's seven with his play. Yeah, he's 7-0. and He has that first playoff win under his belt, and the team is 11-0 right now as they go into the divisional round. Coming up, Jason McCourty will join us, co-host of Good Morning Football. He was on the call for Jacksonville and L.A., where the Jags made that big comeback over the Chargers. We'll chat about his vantage point there when he saw everything turn, the start for Trevor Lawrence versus how it ended, what this means for the Chargers and their window of opportunity, being one of the media darlings in the preseason, and now we're pointing at them as one of the biggest losers of the first weekend of the NFL and uh, the postseason runs. McCordy is next on OutKick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Glad you're with us across the Outkick Network. We're throwing Hutton with you. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. The Arizona Cardinals have hired Monty Ossenfort as their next general manager. That according to NFL Network, uh, Ian Rappaport and Tom Palacero. He is the director of pro personnel for the Tennessee Titans, or was, with the John Robinson staff. He was granted permission to interview with the Cardinals. He lands that job. He also interviewed here in Nashville for the open position. Uh, Titans fall seven straight out of the playoffs, and Jacksonville gets in, and they win in a big comeback at home against the Chargers. Jason McCourty was there for the radio call. You can catch him every morning on Good Morning Football. J-Mac, always great to catch up with you, man. Hope you and the family are doing well, and uh, what a crazy wildcard weekend, man. Yeah, it was insane. I was at that game uh, against the Chargers. I was also at the game the week before uh, when Jacksonville hosted the Tennessee Titans for us to see who was going to okay. win that division and playing this wild card game. But, I mean, it scores 27-0. to I'm calling the game with Iron Eagle, and we're up there in the booth, and it's just like, my goodness, this is going to be a tough second half finding <laughs> things to talk about because this game is pretty much over. And then Jacksonville goes down there and scores right before half. Uh, I remember talking to Tony Baselli at halftime. He was like, hey, we've been in this position before. We are down 17 two other times in the season. We are able to come back in the second half, and Jacksonville did that. And obviously, it was a huge collapse by the Chargers on their end. There was a third and one earlier in that game. Uh, Herbert missed Keenan Allen on a would-be touchdown on third down. And then obviously, uh, a missed field goal. Joey Bosa slammed his helmet. Two so everything kind of went downhill, went wrong for the Chargers. But for Jacksonville to be able to steady the ship, go in there at halftime and make adjustments, but still to have the belief that you were going to go out there in the second half and be able to string enough plays together to make the comeback was pretty impressive. Jason McCourty, our guest here on Outkick 360. What can that do for Trevor Lawrence? And knowing that one thing I noticed watching the game before I hopped in the car, uh, Jason, was he was still leading on the sideline despite playing awful in that first half. And then he pulls that comeback. There's true belief with him now, but he also, Chad and I were discussing, like the perception of Herbert and Lawrence have now flipped for me on expectation. 
Yeah, I, I'm not going to say they flipped. Both of these guys, I mean, when you watch, especially Justin Herbert in that first half, some of the throws he was making are just so impressive. A sidearm throw to hit his tight end, Gerald Everett. They're, they're both so talented. But when you talk about Trevor Lawrence's confidence level, the one thing he said this year compared to last year was that Doug Peterson and his staff was instilling the confidence and belief in him. And he had become more vocal, willing to step out and lead from in front and do that. And when you go through an entire season, you have the comebacks they had. But on top of that, you face the adversity that they faced last year. And to be able to overcome all of that, I think for those guys, that first half was kind of a microcosm of their season. They lost. They were 2-6 and six early on in the season. They were kind of down and out losing those close games. And then you get in there at halftime, and because of everything that transpired during the season, there was a ton of belief. But for a young quarterback to make that many mistakes in the first half and then to be able to rebound, I mean, that's a huge confidence boost uh, going into this divisional round and even for them, obviously, going into next season as well. And Jason, how about the Jags' defense? Because I'm thinking those four interceptions in the first half, all of the opportunities that they were put in, that, that the, the Chargers were handed in that game, I thought the defense responded well to be 27 nothing at that point after all those mistakes. It could have been a lot worse, I guess, is what I'm thinking when, when that happened. What would you make of the Jags' defensive effort given the horrible circumstances? They kept swinging, and they made adjustments in the second half. Uh, early on, it seemed like every single third down, they were playing zone. Keenan Allen was going right to the sticks, catching a pass, and it was first and 10 for the Chargers. And we saw in the second half, they brought pressure. They were able to kind of make Herbert a little bit more uncomfortable. And the amazing thing is to be down 27 to zip and on defense not to create any turnovers and still be able to win the game. And the second half, they only gave up three points. And that allowed them to be able to make a comeback. And uh, Roy Robertson-Harrison, he, he was just all over the place all night, whether it was a tackle for a loss, whether it was batting the pass down or hitting Herbert. He just was a force to be reckoned with. And that front that they have in Jacksonville with uh, Trayvon Walker and then obviously Josh Allen and him in the middle, and this is after losing Smoot. I mean, those guys truly believe that they can go out there and wreck a game. And uh, Foya Aluakon is just, I mean, the, to lead the league in tackles two seasons in a row uh, is just a machine out there. So they definitely stepped up and five turnovers, and you're still in the game. That's a, a huge credit to the defense. I thought it was a pretty clear false start that was missed by the officiating crew. But what did you make of Joey Bosa's reaction to that, slinging the helmet, costing his team what turned out to be the two-point conversion that was the difference in the end after the field goal. A rough night for Joey Bosa. Obviously, not only the slamming of the helmet and then Doug Peterson going for two, which he might have went for uh, anyway, but that made it an easy decision. But earlier in the game, he had an offsize penalty that was kind of questionable as well that they got a sack on third down that ended up giving them a new set of downs that put points on the board. And then he gets a 15-yard penalty there when he says something to the official. And it definitely looked like a false start. And I think throughout the wild card week, and we saw many plays like that throughout the season where tackles are kind of getting out early to be able to pass block against those guys. And it's extremely frustrating. But at that point in the game, I think he'll tell you that anybody can tell you, like you just can't lose your composure to that extent to slam the helmet in the field to play. I mean, if he takes three more steps and gets to the sideline and then slams his helmet. It's shown all over TV and everybody will say what they need to say, but there's no penalty. You have to be able in that moment to do that. Those are the differences, those type of mistakes and decisions between going on to the next round or booking your vacation and going on a nice trip somewhere. Which of the quarterbacks that got their first playoff win impressed you the most that you're, you're, you're saying, Hey, I'm riding with him first. 
Uh, we're talking about Trevor Lawrence, but Brock Purdy, of course, Daniel Jones yesterday. Yeah, it would have to be Daniel Jones for me. And obviously what Brock Purdy is doing, a uh, rookie, seventh-round draft pick, and now just continuing to show up and show out throughout the end of the season. But Daniel Jones, he was the guy that everybody rolled off in. This season we came in, and I remember being on the show all summer, we're talking about what does Daniel Jones have to do to earn a contract extension from the New York Giants and to be considered their franchise quarterback. And throughout the season at times, it was like, all right, it's the Saquon Barkley show or Ryan Dable's drawing it up where it's extremely easy for Daniel Jones. And then this weekend, we saw him go out there and just impress, whether it was throwing the ball, whether it was rushing the ball. He did everything necessary for them to win that game. And Daniel Jones, a guy that's gone through it since he got drafted out of Duke so high in the draft, and Gettleman kind of got killed for it. And Gettleman's probably sitting down somewhere this weekend watching not only Daniel Jones, but Saquon Barkley, Dexter Lawrence, guys that he drafted watching them go out there and ball and kind of carry this New York Giants into the playoffs and now into the divisional round. So for sure, Daniel Jones, his first playoff action, just the way he's performed all season was probably the most impressive. Discuss for me the the pressure. I don't know if it, well, it is pressure from the coaching staff on down tonight with Dallas. Um, Prescott, Prescott's got to prove something tonight. He's got a great opportunity. He's, you know, he's right there. And can he take them to the next level? Meanwhile, McCarthy knows uh, Sean Payton's sitting out there and Jerry Jones loves the guy. Yeah, everyone's talking about it. You can't escape it. And Dak Prescott has to just go out there and perform. And I think, obviously, he's thrown a ton of interceptions this season, and we've all focused on that leading the NFL. And what we saw this weekend, Josh Allen, he threw a ton of interceptions, but also threw some nice pads and some bombs to give his team the lead, and they walk away with a win. And one of their slogans is not how you win, it's if you win at this point in the season. And I think the same thing applies for Dallas, and it's so crazy. You look at Sean Payton, you look at Mike McCarthy, both of them won Super Bowl with Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Their records and a lot of things that they've accomplished they match up. Yes. And now we're looking at McCarthy and we're criticizing, we're saying all of these things, back-to-back 12-win seasons. But like you said, what Dallas does in the playoffs is what really matters. They haven't been able to do so since the 90s, 20-something-odd seasons since a playoff win. So everybody's watching that. And I think you just want to see them go out there and perform. You don't want to see any major coaching mistakes. You don't want to see Dak with a pick six at a crucial part in the game. They're going against a Tampa Bay team, obviously, who has Tom Brady, who we all consider the GOAT in which he is. But it's a Tampa Bay team that hasn't played well this season. Dallas is the team that has more talent, is the better one. Can they show up tonight in prime time under the lights and be able to show up and get the victory? It is amazing that Tom Brady is playing in a playoff game tonight and all the conversation is around Dak Prescott and the pressure on him. Um, What do you think about Brady this season? Watching him with Tampa Bay, what you've seen from his body language, what you've seen the last couple of weeks as he's getting ready to play in a game where his team's hosting a wild card playoff game tonight. Brady's a winner, and he wants to win at all costs. He's competitive as hell. He's going to put all the work in, and sometimes you see that throughout the course of the game. You see his frustrations. We've seen him throughout the season slamming the surface, going off on his teammates, and that's all to try to rise the level of play of everybody around him. We watch him do that uh, for his entire career in New England. We would always talk about in the media, even being on his team, you talk about sometimes the lack of weapons 
that he would have on the outside compared to what some of the other primetime quarterbacks have. And he continues to bring those guys up. And Brady is still playing at an extremely high level. Uh, when you watch him play the game, obviously against the Carolina Panthers late in this season, we watch him hit Mike Evans for three touchdowns, goes off over 400 yards passing. and it's just incredible to see him at his age be able to play at such a high level. And this is kind of where he shines the brightest. Playoffs, I think it's 35 playoff wins, which is more than so many other teams and everything in the playoffs right now. And he continues to thrive. So it's going to be exciting no matter who's on his team, how they played this year. When it gets to this point in the year, everybody's watching Tom Brady and ex expectation is extremely high. If it gets to the fourth quarter and Tampa Bay has the ball and they have an opportunity to go win, everybody is watching on their couch, assuming that Brady's going to go down there and get whatever it is they need. What do you think happened with Lamar Jackson not traveling? That, that I'm very curious. Of. I saw Snoop Huntley after the game uh, made mention that he wished that Lamar was able to come. And when you hear that, we can kind of assume and, and make up all types of things. He was in Cincinnati the week before for the last game of the season. I, it's beyond me. Why not? And we talked about it this morning. When a guy's injured, they don't always travel. So there's times where you're injured. It might be in your best interest because of your injury or it just may be kind of what the team does. Injured guys don't travel. But in this case, Lamar had been traveling. And it was even talking about that last game of the season, how much of a help he was to Brown and Huntley on the sideline. So very peculiar to me of why he wouldn't be there. I can't imagine he didn't want to be there, but I don't want to assume and say, oh, the Ravens didn't allow him to go. And obviously, we saw everything that transpired, him putting out the tweets, talking about his injury, uh, the coaching staff hardball. As the month went on, the tone kind of changed to this past week where it was just like, oh, there's something. So he took it upon himself to give an update. And there was a lot of chatter, especially a former player. Some saying, hey, put a brace on it and go. Michael Vick has said that. Charles Woodson, those guys were talking about just go. And it's like at the same time, for Lamar Jackson, if your knee doesn't feel right and you don't feel like you can go, then of course not. Don't go out there and sacrifice your body. And I've done that. A lot of players that have played this game have done out there, have taken medicine. I've done all types of things to go play. But that doesn't mean that it's the only way. And because maybe I did it or the next guy did it means that Lamar Jackson has to do it. He has to look out for himself as well as his teammates and the organization. But it's a, a decision that only he can make, and he's the only one that can determine, hey, my knee is okay, I can go play, or no, it just doesn't feel right. Jason, you're a longtime NFL player, and I'm, I'm curious to get the opinion of Jason McCourty, guy who's been in multiple locker rooms and seen all sorts of situations. I want your opinion on this. There is this unwritten rule in the NFL that players don't speak out on other players' business. And if they are doing something mm -hmm. to handle business, you don't speak out against them, even at times if it may go against you and the team. And I, I've noticed a lot of Ravens players have sort of walked that tightrope in discussing Lamar Jackson and what's going on here with his contract. How many instances can you remember in your career where it was really hard not to speak out against someone because you felt like they should have been there helping you and your team win – and you know there's someone that could have helped. I guess I'm asking, is this a relatively common occurrence in the NFL? Because we're seeing a lot more people willing to speak out on it when we get closer to playoff time, like we've seen now with Lamar Jackson. Did you see this happening a lot? Uh, no, I never felt inclined to do so, nor do I think a player ever should. I think it's very easy 
for somebody else to make comments about this person's situation until they're placed in. And then I remember being in Tennessee when Chris Johnson goes for 2,000 yards my rookie year, and that next year he sits at training camp. And by all means, do your thing. Like, I can't comment on your own personal business because I could have sat there and said, CJ, you need to show up. We need you here. It was like at the same time, from an organizational standpoint, you can look at the Titans in this case and say, well, hey, go ahead and pay him so he can show up. I think Lamar's case, Sammy Watkins came out and said, hey, like, I feel like he should be out here or whatever exactly his words were. But then you heard Marlon Humphrey said as well, he was just like, Lamar's here. He's in the building. I see him and he's limping around and he doesn't look like he can play. So I think it's all in like whose quotes do you want to grab and who do you want to go off? But that unwritten rule that you're talking about, chat, 100%, I firmly believe in it. Uh, there's no way I'm going to be in that locker room and call you my brother and then go in the media and say these certain things. Now, if I'm on a team and I'm in a locker room and I feel like, hey, you should be out here helping us, you look healthy enough, then maybe I just walk up to your face and I say it to you like, hey, I know you're going through what you're going through, but we need you out here and I think you should go out here and maybe play. But I, I, I never feel like it's necessary to go out there and say it within the media. And that's even me now working in the media who loves to hear these things mm -hmm. because it gives <laughs> us a whole segment to discuss it on the show. But I, I firmly believe in that unwritten rule. That's a great answer. And the direct approach is always the better approach. So I, I know that's the one you were taking. You're talking about with the player. So what do you think when you see these anonymous quotes from the Cardinals locker room about Kyler Murray and how the money has created a monster and he doesn't prepare? There's a lot of things coming out, but no one's a na name is attached to it. What do you think when you see these reports? Put your name on it. I, I think that's that's what it's all about. Uh, as Titan and Ertz had came out in training camp and all of the stuff was going on with the video games and all of that, and he came out and he supported uh, Kyler Murray. I just think as a teammate, if you're going to maybe text a member of the media or say or do all of that, then you might as well put your name on it. If not, to me, uh, don't say it. But I think one thing the Arizona Cardinals, whether guys are rumored about it, obviously Cliff Kingsbury's in Thailand right now. There's a lot going on within that organization. We saw it kind of hitting his head throughout the season of Kyler and Cliff going at it. And there's a lot of question marks. And I mean, at this point, you're going to say what you want about Kyler Murray. He's injured right now, and he's probably not going to be healthy with a knee at the beginning of the season. So Kyler Murray at this point shouldn't even be the focus. They now have a lot of other question marks that they have to figure out. But I think the whole Kyler Murray thing comes all the way back to he gets a contract and there's a paperwork and there's a lot that's in it that has the study hall and all of that. If you take that out of it, a lot of this stuff that was discussed from the preseason on is never brought up. So I think it's just a whole lot of saga that went on that could have probably been avoided. And the one thing I think within organization within a team as much as possible if you can keep those things within the locker room they're better dealt with than when a player has to stand up in front of at their presser in front of a whole bunch of cameras and microphones and answer questions about another player's situation it's always tough to find the right words or sometimes guys are trying to dance around it some are better than others and they know how to do it and some guys just flat out have to tell the truth jason mccordy our guest are you calling a game this weekend no, I'm off. Uh, I have basketball games to attend. My uh, okay. kids started up, so I'm finally going to get to catch uh, little kids running around, traveling, double dribbling, and doing <laughs> every violation in the game of basketball. How, how old, Jason, are we talking here with the kids? We're 
10, 7, and 5. So, yes, straight chaos. I coach my daughter's, uh, help coach someone else, my daughter's seven-year-old basketball team. It's first and second grade. And having done this, I can tell you, first and second grade is too young to start basketball because they can't get it. They're, no one's really getting into first. It's, it's really a fourth, fifth grade type sport because you're right, it is pure chaos. But enjoy it. Enjoy that chaos. We'll do. Any, any tips, any drills you have, send them my way. Yeah, we, we got some cones out yesterday at practice, <laughs> and we we're trying to like do the you know crossover, go to the left hand, and it led to girls just stopping their dribble and actually taking the ball and then going to their left hand and dribbling again with their left hand instead of trying the you know the crossover dribble. So that was fun. Yep, sounds like I can envision it right now. Enjoy it either way. Yeah, man. Hey, appreciate the time, man. Always great to to catch up and uh, doing a great job on Good Morning Football. And hopefully, we'll see you out in Glendale. Yeah, sounds good. Appreciate it. Good to see you guys. Yeah, man. Keep crushing it. You're yeah. doing really well. Jason Thank McCourty, you. Uh, well one of the best guys. Period. And then uh, solid. Uh, solid player here for in with, with the Titans, but also uh, throughout his career as he went from here to Cleveland for a year and then on to New England where he played with his twin brother, Devin. One of those guys everyone knew would be really good in the media yes. when his playing days yeah. were over and then started in the media and has been really good. To no one's surprise at all, he's been as terrific as expected. And he saw the third best comeback we've ever seen in the playoffs in person down in Jacksonville. Somehow the Chargers didn't win that game. I take so much more negativity towards Herbert, Staley, and the Chargers okay, let's, in that game than I do positivity with we, Trevor Lawrence and the Jets. I, I see where you're coming from on that, too. And, you know, both can be true, but there is an overriding feeling of choke At job. At what point is Justin Herbert Jeff George? Well, you know, like that's – I'm watching that second half. But also, and especially when they get the ball back and I see him take a sack and then throw it short. And, I mean, I'm just – I'm waiting for, oh, there's Justin Herbert in a big moment getting a couple first downs that his team needs. But then there's also the the camp that would say, well, Urban Meyer was not doing so hot with Trevor Lawrence, and then we saw that comeback with Peterson. Meanwhile, you've got <laughs> you've got Staley who's doing anything and everything to not win a game on the other sideline. Staley just looks it's it's very predictable staley doesn't look he chargering is what they're he, calling he doesn't name. look like a, a like a human reaction to things like he's like become a, the computer or the algorithm or the analytics how, yeah. that he uses i watch him during the game Compu and i'm thinking <laughs> this is like taking you know even uh, more so than mcdaniel the ibm had that you know he's like oh, a yeah. robot thing yeah a watson yeah i feel like he's watson <laughs> I'm watching Watson. He, he is a computer amalgamation of a football coach that has no emotion and no humanity on the sideline. That's what I feel like I'm watching when I'm watching Brandon Staley coach a game. When they were falling apart, I'm, I'm looking for any reaction. But, and the guy just continues to kind of chew his gum and pace. And, and there's up no, change, no change at all. <laughs> yeah, he was the guy who picked up the helmet when it, and he threw it again. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, Chargering, now in the oh. dictionary. Uh, the you know they went from wow this is going to be the hot topic issue for uh, moving forward for the, the Chargers possibly meeting up against Kansas City to epic collapse and here's Jacksonville now as the darling of the NFL after making it through the final stretch run in November and December to win the AFC South coming up today the deadline to declare for the NFL draft for any 
junior looking to enter prior to finishing college. And there was one big quarterback we were all waiting on. That's next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. C.J. Stroud to the NFL. No surprise, but today was the deadline. So we had to know one way or the other. And the junior quarterback is entering the NFL draft where a top five pick is pretty much guaranteed $35 million. And he'll, he'll be a top five pick. I, I think there will be a chase for all three guys, uh, Chad, between Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, and Will Levis. Did he wait to announce to give the appearance that he was actually considering coming back to Ohio State fans? Or did he wait to announce because he was actually considering coming back because this felt like an absolute no-brainer layup that he was going to leave as a top five pick. I'm not surprised at all. I was surprised he waited till the deadline day to yeah, do it. I thought he'd take a couple days after they lost in the semifinal, maybe get up to around the national championship game night or right before that and declare or, for the draft. Or was he waiting to see the top five draft selection? Maybe. I don't That's know, another I mean, good theory. You can wait and... The deadline allows you to see the top five picks. Now, what you don't know is which teams are going to trade up. That's out of your control. But the top five where he's projected to go, Chicago, Houston, Arizona, Indianapolis, and Seattle. Now, just beyond that, Detroit, Las Vegas, and Atlanta. And Detroit's in a great spot yet again because uh, Seattle could be two, uh, although Seattle could take him. But if he lasts to six, just hypothetically... Oh, they're going to get a haul. Yes, because he's the last guy if he's at six, right? Because Levis would be off the board. There's no way he's going to last to six. I just... I don't... Here's, you here's know what I there will be that one team. I believe that someone will trade with the Bears to go get Bryce Young. Here's where the great debate starts. We're going to hear about this now. Yep. Combine coming up, all up to the draft. Bryce Young versus C.J. Stroud. And it's going to, we're, we're going to pretend that there's this moving scale of one guy's ahead of the other the whole time when in reality it's not going to be the case. But maybe, I, I believe Bryce Young is the better prospect, but there is going to be a debate now between those two, between Stroud and Bryce Young. I firmly believe someone's trading up with the Bears to draft Bryce Young at one. I think the floor for CJ Stroud is Texans at two. And, I don't think he's going past two. Okay. Well, I mean, in that case, then he could. He's guaranteed Chicago or Houston, and he knew that as of today. He said it was a very difficult decision, but I mean, he's certainly, if he's not the most talented, he's the, we believe the second most talented QB in the draft, and uh, I think he's going to be a solid pro. I don't know if that means, you know, does that mean he's Trevor Lawrence? Does that mean he's Joe Burrow or uh, Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes? Uh, he can also just be a very steady quarterback, and it's hard to find even 15 of those guys, right? So I, I think he and Bryce are the two to go after. And then there, there's, to me, uh, a talent drop-off. And I get it. Levis has got talent. I've just seen Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud 
play that on a more consistent basis on Saturdays. I'm basing it off of that. And that's why I like Bryce Young better. I think Bryce Young, over the course of his tenure as the starting quarterback at Bama, showed up more in big moments than I saw from C.J. Stroud. And, and by the way, in recency bias, he was awesome against Georgia. I'm, I'm going to carry that through the combine and the NFL draft, too. That, the lasting impression Stroud made with and He was really loss. good against the best in the country yes. in, that Georgia, in the biggest moment in, in that game. Uh, what's going to last with me in that game was Ohio State seemingly being okay with a 50-yard attempt when they had a chance to well, do some things to get a lot closer with those last couple of plays and failed to do so. I, I think and that, what happens if he has his, receiver, his top receiver too? Yeah, which That's was a, a big blow to him. I, I think there's so many different levels of what makes a great quarterback. Joe Burrow, almost an immediate hit, or at least into year two. Trevor Lawrence, number one overall pick. One-of-a-kind type prospect coming out. Got into year two before he hit. Maybe C.J. Stroud is Daniel Jones that it takes to the end of his rookie contract before you know, but then he's going to get paid big. I think it's going to work out regardless. I don't see him as some instant sensation. You know right away when he gets his chance, he's going to be the guy. Mm-hmm. I don't know that Bryce Young is that either. I think we may be looking at two guys. While, while I value Bryce Young more than C.J. Stroud, we may have two Daniel Jones in this draft. Could. Not from a comp standpoint, but from a career standpoint. Shows some flashes, okay at times, inconsistent, turnover problems at times. It may take until year three, four before you know or before they really get or going for both coach, these guys. You know, yeah, a second coach. Getting the right offensive coordinator in. Got a new one coming into Houston, and then who knows what happens in Chicago within the next three years. Yep. You know, as they try to build the stadium, they're investing in Eberflus, but, I mean, Kevin Warren's running that organization now in Chicago. Coming up. We uh, switch gears. We'll talk college hoops, both on the court and the horrible story off of it. That's next.